As I told you last week, a sneeze is the body's way of expelling or getting out or getting rid of an infection or sometimes just an irritant. Like if you sniff pepper, anybody ever accidentally done that? And, uh, and, and, and it's, so it's the body's way of getting rid of an infection or an irritant. Now the infection, uh, science has proven that it could lead to a sickness, it could lead to a disease, and in extreme cases, it could also even lead to death. So how many know a sneeze is a good thing that God allowed us to do? And, uh, and believe it or not, there's a story in the Bible that has to do with sneezes. As a matter of fact, seven sneezes. I told that story last week. We got into it a little bit last week. Uh, if I've ever wanted you to hear a part one to a message, although they're all self-contained, I really want you to hear part number one to the seven sneezes. It really lays some foundational work that I, I don't really have the time to redo today, so, but it's in our library. And so in the book of 2 Kings, um, there's this man, these two men by the name of Elijah and Elisha. And if you did the backstory a little bit, Elisha, um, uh, or excuse me, Elijah began to pour into a man by the name of Elisha. We're going to talk about that and that relationship in today's message. But let me first lay the foundation for the seven sneezes. It's found in 2 Kings chapter number 4. And in verse number 32, here's what we got. It says, when Elisha reached the house... There was the boy lying dead on the couch. Now, last week we talked at length about this little boy. He, he had not yet found his purpose. He had died too soon. We're relating that to the era we live in where they say that the day of America's church is dead, especially since COVID, more churches have closed their doors. People haven't returned. But what we're finding in America right now is Gen Z is coming back to church uh, more than anybody else. I think they're looking for authenticity. Would you agree? I think they're looking for something real. But we're, we're making the metaphor that this little boy is kind of like the church. It, it was too young for him to die. How I many know it's too, it, it's too early for the church to die? How I many know there's a lot more that the church has to accomplish, right, everybody? And so he's lying dead on the couch. And uh, Elisha, he went in, he shut the door on the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. Now, I admit that this part of the story is real weird, but I'm just the messenger. I didn't write the story, all right? And, and it's really odd, and that's why I would challenge you to listen to last week's message. So Elisha got on the bed and lay on the boy. I know, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand. And as he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. And, and last week, the challenge was basically that if we are the body of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the body of Christ. You are the incarnate body. You are the hands and the feet. That means nobody that's a follower of Jesus, we don't come to church and experience church. We are the church, everybody. And so if we're going to bring those that are dead spiritually to life, how I many is going to take the whole body stretching ourselves? And we're going to have to line up with God's voice, come on, and be life-giving. We're going to have to line up with our, uh, God's eyes, which is the vision that he has, right? And everybody has to line up with our hands. In other words, every Christian ought to be doing something in the body of Christ. Come on, that was a good place for an amen. 
All right. And, and so then Elisha turned and walked away back and forth in the room. And then he got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. Awkward. Okay. The boy then sneezed seven times and he opened his eyes. So the big idea is that if we're going to prevent death in the day that the church is said to be dead, then, then we're going to have to be willing to consider some sneezes that the body of Christ might need to have, all right? We might need to consider some infections, or we might need to consider some irritants, or we might, might need to at least be aware of things that would begin to bring sickness, death, disease, if nothing else, slumber into the body of Christ. And so the whole idea is that we need to sneeze something out and replace it with something else. We didn't do any of them last week, but, but for the next seven weeks, we're going to, come on, sneeze something out. Don't physically do that. That's kind of gross. All right. And then we're going to replace it with something else. Are you guys ready? Yes. Come on. Today, we're going to sneeze out isolation and we're going to replace it, come on, with community. Woo! Aren't you glad you came today? I, th I think I have that. For, do I have that for the screen? But we're going to sneeze out isolation and we're going to replace it with community. Am I too loud to you guys out there? Okay, because I might get a little louder. All right, because, all right, just watch me. Kind of stay on the dials there. But sneeze out isolation and replace it with community. Uh, I, we invited all of you uh, the week of Christmas to come out to the theater and watch It's a Wonderful Life with us. How many have came out on that night? And, and so nobody has any excuses now that you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life. If you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life, you need to see Larry and Jean at the cross after the service, all right? Because I don't have good sermon illustrations if you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life. I love the part at the very end in It's a Wonderful Life where all the community is gathered in George's living room. Don't you love that? Come on, where's my Wonderful Life people, huh? Can we just all say, aww? And they all got, woo, someone really got into it. That's good. And, and they all gathered together, and George's brother showed up, and he said a toast to George, the richest man in town. And then he opened the little book that Clarence had given him, Tom Sawyer. And inside the cover, it read this, that no man is a failure who has friends. Come on, everybody. We got to sneeze out this whole pull myself up by my bootstrap, self-made man. I don't need anybody. I'm a lone ranger. Come on. It, it, I would say this. If you think you're a self-made man, you're really not all that you could be. That's a nice way of saying you're not all that much. Come on now, right? Uh, I mean, we all need somebody sometime. And I recognize who I'm talking to today. Matter of fact, it didn't matter who showed up today. I know that I could make this statement. We've all been hurt. We've all been hurt by relationships. We've all been stabbed in the back. We've all had best friends that have stolen from us, lied about us, gossiped about us. We've all, there's people that have been through divorces. There's people that have had bankruptcies. There's people that have been lied and slandered about. And the people you thought were your best friends, all those kind of things. And so what happens is we begin to self-preservate and we begin to self-protect. And, and without even realizing it, the walls that we build to protect our heart and our, and our feelings are the very walls that keep people at an arm's length. But as your pastor, I want to ask you to take a risk this year. I want to ask you to take a chance and to try giving relationships a chance again. 
A study was done by the California Institute of Mental Health, and here's something they discovered that I thought you would be interested in. That if you're disconnected, that if you don't have friends, if you don't have somebody that you do life with, then if you're disconnected, you are three times more likely to die an early death. You are four times more likely to experience emotional burnout. You are five times more likely to suffer from clinical depression. And you are ten times more likely to be hospitalized for some form of mental disorder. Say, Ken, how could that be? Why is that? Because God did not create us to do life alone. God looked at Adam and said, it is not good that he is alone. God never wanted us to do life alone. He created us, come on everybody, to do life together. Let me say it again, relationships matter. Okay, I got few of you. Let's say it again. Relationships matter. All right, everyone. And so the story of seven sneezes is this crazy miracle. I love it. It's kind of this obscure story, but it's also this crazy miracle. I mean, come on. The man of God stretches out and lays on a boy and he sneezes seven times. It's this crazy miracle. But if Elijah had never did life with Elijah, the miracle would have never occurred. In 1 Kings chapter number 19, you can go back there later, but in in the last part of 1 Kings, Elijah, the man of God, the prophet, the preacher, the man that's seeing fire come down from heaven, he gets so depressed that he's suicidal. And he's living in a cave all by himself. There's the key. He's all by himself. He's not doing life with anybody. God raises him up. He goes in 1 Kings 19, and he begins to pour into a young man by the name of Elisha. One of the best things you can do for your life is not just have somebody above you pouring into you, but have somebody a step behind you that you're pouring back into. One of the best things you can do. Amen. One of the best things you can do is take this message that you learned. Every Sunday morning and go share it with somebody. Go pour it into somebody. Go do a rewind life group. Go do life group together. Go dissect it. Go talk about it. Go talk about what you're learning. Therefore, you become this river of information and inspiration that is moving through your life. Elijah was depressed and suicidal. But the minute he began to pour into a young man, a protege, his life took on this whole other meaning. And you can read about that. That's an incredible story. But they began to do life together. And here's the part. Now, this is a rather lengthy portion of Scripture. I might kind of skip around. I might give it all to you. But in 2 Kings chapter number 2, there's this really cool story of now their relationship and how it has journeyed. So 2 Kings chapter number 2, verse number 15. Here's what it says. It says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven. So first of all, you get the picture. Elijah's like, he's old. <laughs> he's ready to go to heaven. All right. And, 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 and it says, he's going to take him in a whirlwind. How many know that'd be a pretty cool way to go, right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe for some of you, maybe not. I don't know. Depends if you were on the airplane that the door fell off. Maybe not. Okay, I get it. All right. So Elijah and Elisha were on their way. Now watch the places that their relationship traveled to. This is where I want to key in. So Elijah and Elisha, uh, they they were on their way from Gilgal. We're going to talk about that place. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elijah said, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The second place they went. 
It goes on. It says a little bit more. And the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked. Now, there's some negativity here. All right. They asked this question. Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Watch Elisha. He says, yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Can I paraphrase that? No, I better not, all right? In other words, they're being negative, like, I can't believe you're pouring all that into a relationship. Let me say it another way. I can't believe you're pouring all that into your church. I can't believe you give so much time to your church. I I can't believe you give so much money to your church. I can't believe you give so much to your church. And Elisha turned around and said, just shut up. You have no idea what I'm after. Because Elisha was after something that was on the inside of Elijah. And if he hadn't pursued him, he would have never got that. Oh, come on now. Right? And so it goes on. And it says, then Elijah said to him, stay here. Elijah's messing with him a little bit. And the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, sure as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. It goes on. It says just a little bit more. The company of the prophets, they did the same thing. Don't you know that the Lord is going to take your master today? And he said it again. Yes, I know. So just shut up. All right. So you get that. Then Elijah, verse 6, said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Now watch. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. The Jordan is a river. Elijah took his cloak. Come on, this is better than any Hollywood movie you could ever make up. Elijah took his cloak. He took his coat, rolled it up, and he struck the water with it. And the water divided to the right and to the left. And the two of them crossed over to dry ground. Now, there's a crazy story. Where the water went to on each side is a sermon in itself. But you have to go do that one on your own. I don't have time, all right? And it says, uh, and, and, and so then he said this. Elijah said, yet if you see... See me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Because he just asked for a difficult thing and he asked for a double portion of what Elijah had. Now, you've probably heard many sermons on that. That's not where I want to focus. I want to focus on two men that became friends. And the friendship was equally beneficial for both of them. Elijah was depressed, Elisha was running his family's business. But they began to pour into one another and a friendship was developed. And later, their friendship took them on journeys. How many know a good friendship will take you places? Right, everybody? And I want to look at the four places that the friendship took them. And I want to encourage you in 2024 to build relationships. And without real authentic relationships, you will never get the double portion. You will never get all that God has for you. Come on, everybody. It's Life Group Sunday. You better get on the program. Come on. The bus is leaving the terminal, everyone. Here we go. The first place they came is they came to Gilgal. Now, if you know the Bible, you know that Gilgal Gilgal is the place of sacrifice. It's where they came and they made sacrifice. And I want to say that sacrifice will always be required in every relationship that is healthy. There will be some amount of sacrifice that has to be given. Come on, where's my married folks at here? If you're smiling, there's been sacrifice somewhere along the way. I know you can't amen, but you can wink at me. I get it. I know. 
I understand. There's going to be some sacrifice somewhere. When you want to watch the game and she has other plans. Wait, when you want to watch the game and he has other plans. I, I don't know. But there's going to have to be some sacrifice because healthy relationships will always require some sacrifice. In fact, let's just put it in the church world. You required sacrifice today to be here. You got up out of a nice warm bed into 10 degree weather. Come on, somebody. And, and had to go outside in that like God-forsaken weather to be here. You sacrifice today because you're trying to get something from a relationship that you've established. Am I right about this? Come on, everyone. And here's what I've come to learn. Fruitfulness sometimes comes from the place of sacrifice. Fruitfulness, blessings, comes from the place of discomfort. Come on, ladies. That was your shot right there. Ask any lady giving birth, right? <laughs> It's discomfort, but it's blessing. And you better say amen right there. When you, when, when you want what's in someone else, in that relationship, the benefit of that relationship, there's going to be some Gilgal. There's going to be some sacrifice. Uh, uh, when, when, you, when you want the marriage to be good, there's going to be some sacrifice. When your best friend calls you up at 2 in the morning because they have no one else to call, there's going to be some sacrifice. You're going to sacrifice some sleep. You're going to sacrifice some time. You're going to sacrifice some money. You're going to sacrifice some self. Come on, is anybody hearing what I'm saying today? And sometimes the sacrifice is simply because we're establishing a relationship because in that friendship, that person is better in that area than I am. And I need that in my life. When I was a young pastor, I pastored in Detroit and my pastor pastored in Phoenix, Arizona. And there would be Wednesday nights. I knew he was doing his midweek and I knew he'd be in town. And I would call him up and say, hey, can I take you out to dinner before or after you get done preaching? Because there was things in him that I wanted to grab a hold of so that I could have in me. There was something in the relationship that he had that I needed to be better in. There was some sacrifice. There was an airline ticket and flying all the way out there to pay for a dinner that I didn't have the money for. So I could sit for one hour and grab a hold of out of somebody else a strength that was a weakness in my life. Come on. I hope that's what you're doing here. You're coming and having a relationship with a church body because there's something there that I need to be a part of my life. And sometimes that requires Gilgal, everybody. Can I get an amen on that? Number two, the second place that they went is they went to Bethel. Now, if you know anything about Bethel, Bethel is the house of prayer or it's the house of bread. Um, it's the house of provision. But I just want to reduce it down today to just the house of prayer. And I would say that if you're going to have any life-giving relationships, how many know it's going to require some prayer? Because who do I turn to if I can't turn to my friends? Who do I turn to if I can't show you the worst of me and you still believe the best in me? Who do I turn to? Now, I know that the cliche Christian answer is, well, I'll call the church. But guess what? There's not always somebody here answering the phones at the church. We'll get back to you, but there's not always somebody here. I don't have nobody here at 2 in the morning. Come on. But you ought to have a friend. Come on. 
Now, now you can fill out a prayer card and we'll pray for you. And you can come to the cross this morning and we'll be glad to pray for you. But wouldn't it just be a little bit better if you had some friends that you knew, no matter what you were going through, that they wouldn't look down on you, they wouldn't judge you, they wouldn't condemn you, they would just stand between you and heaven and bring your name before God. Come on, somebody, right? And that's what we would like to see happen in your life. Your life group leaders, your friends, I'll tell you right now, your life group leaders, they're committed to praying for you all the time. I love the part of the story. You can find it in the Kings uh, chapters. But Elisha poured water on Elijah's hands. See, that's a symbol of refreshing, ministering to. That's what prayer does. That's what relationship does. We had a gentleman in our church that passed away this week. Some of you know Paul Burgess, and he passed away, and, and his wife said, needed to meet with us, and, and so we got our team together, Larry and me and Janessa, we got our team ready, and they came to see, and Jane came to see us about the funeral arrangements. By the way, if you knew Paul, uh, we'll be having his memorial here at 1.30 on Friday. And, uh, and if you want to help us with all those arrangements, just fill out a connection card and write down funeral, and you want to come help serve coffee and all that, we'll be glad to have you. But, but so Jane was going to come meet with us about the funeral. Here's what I love about what happened. When she showed up, she didn't show up by herself. She didn't show up expecting me to be her only source of encouragement. She showed up with Sarah Wigglemuth, who happens to be one of the elders of our church, who happens to do CrossFit with her and has done life group with her and game nights with her. She showed up with Jillian Johnston, who happens to, they were on a, a dream team together. So she showed up with a life group. She showed up with a dream team. She showed up with reinforcement already around her, already ministering to her. That's what the body of Christ is about, everybody. Come on now. Last year, just a week before Christmas, many of you know Devin and Olivia. Devin leads our security ministry, and they had their, their first little baby, little, little Kennedy, another little Kennedy around here. And Kennedy had a few little minor complications, but while that was going on, Olivia, the mom, they thought she had a stroke. And so they rushed her down to Harborview down in Seattle. So her brand new baby is up here in Skagit. Can you imagine the feeling as a brand new mom being separated and sent down, thinking she had a stroke? All Devin had to do was make one text because he leads a dream team, because he's in a life group. And before you knew it, dozens, if not hundreds of people were immediately on the scene and immediately praying. That's the benefit, come on, of the sacrifice that comes with relationship. Can I get an amen, everybody? Number three, the third place that their relationship went was to Jericho. Now, if you know anything about Jericho, Jericho has the big walls, and, and Jericho represents walls of protection. And if we're going to have healthy relationships, come on, we're going to have to learn how to protect one another. We're going to have to have each other's back. We're going to have to believe in each other. Come on, everybody. Even when we don't agree with one another. Oh, come on now. You, you know, a friend is somebody that can step on your toes without messing up your shine. How many know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. It, it, it's that we, it, Elijah knew where he was going. But if Elisha didn't protect him, Elijah would have never got there. I need to say that again. See, Elijah knew where he was going, but he needed a friend to help push him there. 
He needed a friend, come on, that would help him get where he was going. Otherwise, none of them would have got there. Neither one of them would have got there. And neither one of them would have got the blessing that God had for them. Oh, man, come on now. See, that's what we call the law of reciprocity. The Bible says in Galatians chapter number 6, verse number 6, it says something important to us. It says, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Could I apply that to the church? When you come here and you're built up, guess what? If you're in the body of Christ, you should bring back that and you should build somebody else up. You should bring it back to the relationship where you received it and pour back into the place, the friendship, the relationship that poured into you. Oh, that, that's foreign. I can tell right there. Yeah, if you have a good friend that's pouring into you, there's going to come a place in the relationship where you've got to turn around and pour back into them. Because if one of the people is always giving and the other one never is, then there's bankruptcy. It's the law of reciprocity. It's taken and given. It's taken and given. Sometimes I need to take, but sometimes I need some, right? I need to give back. Sometimes I need to take. Sometimes I need the encouragement. I'm going to take it. But then I need to turn around and pour encouragement back into somebody. Yeah, it's the law of reciprocity. Even God made nature this way. Because if it always rains down rain from heaven, but earth never gives rain back up, we got a problem. If earth always gives rain or water up, but heaven never releases it back, come on, how many know we got a problem? In relationships, if one is always giving and the other one never is, then there's bankruptcy. God created the church body to be take and give. Some days you come in here and you need encouragement. Some days you don't need my sermon. Then preach to somebody else. Encourage somebody else. Come on, everybody. Yeah. It's the law of reciprocity. And, and the last place they went was to the Jordan. And the Jordan was the place of separation. It was the place he smote the river. They walked across, watch this, and he finally left all those school of prophets behind. Now, I'm not saying those guys were bad guys, but they just couldn't make the journey. They weren't after the same thing that Elisha was after. Mm -hmm. They kept trying to tell him, oh, you don't need to do this. See, life-giving relationships understand that I might have to separate from some things so I can connect better to the best things. Mm. When your wife wants to connect with you, you might have to separate from ESPN. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it stinks to have to preach the truth. I need to say no to something so that I can say yes to the most important things. And notice that Elijah had to separate from the school of the prophets. He had to separate from those so that he could connect with what was the most important. See, they kept telling Elisha that Elijah was leaving. They were insinuating that Elijah was just using Elisha. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be doing all that. But the Jordan, at the Jordan, they both crossed over. And the prophets stayed behind. Now they get on the other side. And in essence, in paraphrase, Elijah looks at Elijah and says, Look, you've sacrificed. You've prayed. You've protected. You've separated. You've poured into me. Now I want to pour back into you. And he asked him, What can I do for you? And he asked for a double portion. What do you want? There's reciprocity at its best. 
And I'm not going to preach about the double anointing and all that kind of stuff. But basically, Elijah, watch this. See the, see the metaphor here. Elijah says, if you see me when I go up, you'll get the thing that you ask for. Let me, let me paraphrase. If you'll stand strong and you'll push me higher to the place I'm going, you'll get what you're looking for. If you watch me when I go up, you'll get what you're looking for. I'm a proponent that if we help enough people in life get up to the next level, God will bless us in how we're blessing them. Let's step up and promote some people up. Come on, everybody. See, I have found that if I help people reach their goals, I reach mine too. If I, if I do, see, in my early years, I spent most of my young life trying to achieve, trying to measure success, trying to make accomplishments, and I've decided that it's a lot better. In my 50s, I started living where my accomplishments were helping other people reach their goals. Come on. And it's way more fulfilling. And if I'll spend my life helping other people get to a better level, encouraging other people, pouring cold water into other people, come on, and helping other people, God has this supernatural way of meeting my needs at the same time. Come on, everybody. That's what relationship is about. A life group leader is simply being a friend. We've overcomplicated. Every time I bring up life groups, some of you cringe. Oh, no, it's that day. A life group leader is just being a friend. Being in a life group is just being a friend. We don't need Bible scholars. We don't need another Sunday service. We don't need a worship service. We don't need, Bi- we don't need all that. We just need friends. We just need availability. We just need somebody to say, hey, you got anything going on after church? Let's go have coffee. Come on now, right? Take someone to coffee on Sundays after church. How about meet before service and just gather together in a little circle somewhere and ask each other how your week was and pray for one another. Ten minutes before every church service. Uh, How about when the weather warms up, tailgating before and after the church service. Come on now. I'll be in your group. I just want you to know. Now, here's what every relationship should do, and since we're talking about it, every life group should do. And here's our promise to you. Every friendship should be, and if it isn't this, you need more, because maybe one person doesn't provide all these things. It's okay to do life with more than one person. See, if you're expecting one person to be your meet-all, you're putting an awful lot of pressure. (laughs) If you're expecting one pastor, oops, did I say that? If you're expecting one to be your everything, nobody can be that. Only God could be that, but God said you're the body of Christ, and we could be these things for one another. Mm -hmm. And so here's the things that you got to be, and I'll close with this. Each life group, each relationship ought to provide, number one, it ought to provide encouragement. Hmm? I mean, come on, right? You're not going to hang out with people that are discouraging you, I hope, right? Because sometimes somebody needs your encouragement and you feel discouraged after you've poured into them. Therefore, you ought to have someone you're pouring into and somebody that's pouring into you, right? But every relationship, every life group ought to provide encouragement. It gives courage where you've lost courage. They refuse to let you give up. Mm -hmm. The Bible tells us to do that in Hebrews chapter number 10, verse number 25. It says, don't give up meeting together. And by the way, that doesn't just mean Sunday. It means, come on, guys, let's do life together. Don't give that up as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. 
And all the more as the, you see the days approaching. In other words, the worse that the times get, the more we need friends. The worse it gets out there, the more we need one another. Don't give up. Get your crew before your crisis. Come on. Now, today we'll launch life groups, and there will be those of you that say, oh, there's no life group. I'm really interested in it, and I get that. And you might go to one life group, and you don't connect with it, and I get that. And there might only be life groups going on on the days that you can't make it, and I get that, and I appreciate that. And I would just say to you, then, if you're looking for a friend, start being a friend. It's gonna, you're going to have to, remember last, last week, you've got to stretch the body. That means I've got to go to that odd-looking person and go say hi to them and say, hey, let's go to coffee afterwards. Here's the other thing. Number two is that every life group and every relationship, watch this, it ought to be able to provide prayer. We've got to pray for one another. Where else can you go to receive prayer? Who are you going to call? If you don't have a friend, come on, everybody, who in the world are you going to call? Come on, this is important. Don't, don't get robbed of this. Acts chapter number 2, watch verse number 42, and in verse number 45, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread. That's why we have food at every life group. Well, the good life groups have food. Can I get an Amen. <laughs> We had 90 people here yesterday for next steps because we had food, right, Mike? Come on now. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. You, you want to know what makes a healthy church? You, you want to know what makes a healthy friendship? Well, you get together. In, in a healthy church, you, you receive something from it. You should receive something if you're going to come. There's teaching. There's fellowship. That's a churchy word saying there's friendship going on. And, and there's food going on, and there's prayer going on. Yes. Every good relationship ought to provide prayer. I'll tell you this. Every life group leader is committed that whoever's in their group, they'll be praying for them. Yes. Where else can you go in the world and find that? Yes. Number three, the third thing is that you ought to have some fun. Every relate, nobody wants to get together with a bunch of lemon suckers. How many know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> I mean, it's okay. Some Christians think that in order to get together, you can't have fun. I don't want to be a part of your life group. I want to be a part of a fun life group. A life group leader is simply being a friend. And like I've already said, uh, do something fun with them. The topic is not the topic. That, that's not the topic. The topic is the catalyst. Have some fun. Tell some jokes. Make fun of your pastor. You know you do it anyway. Come on now, everybody. Eat. Jump out of airplanes with parachutes, preferably, all right? Tailgate. Golf together. Hike together. Camp together. Ride motorcycles together. Underwater basket weave together. Do something together, everybody. Come on. Just have some fun. Because we're not looking for another church service at a life group. In fact, I've been waiting for somebody to start a Seinfeld life group. Any Seinfeld fans out here? Come on. You know what Seinfeld is about? It's about nothing. Do a life group about nothing. They did 10 year series over nothing. You can do a life group over nothing. Come on, everybody. Because it's not about the topic. It's about the friends you'll make. It's about the connection. It's about who you're going to call when they think you have a stroke at 2 in the morning and you can't get a hold of the church. Because the building is not the church. 
You're sitting next to the church. Come on, everybody. I got to wrap it up. So let's wrap it up here. I think the last place that I want to talk about that every good relationship or every friendship has to have is a safe place to land. It's a safe place. I love this part in Revelations 12 that says this. I don't know if you have this verse or not. Revelations chapter 12. Probably not. Oh, uh, no. Let me give you Revelations chapter number 12. I just threw it in there. It says, and they overcame by the blood of the land and because of the word of their testimony. How do you break habits? How do you overcome? You get with somebody and you share your testimony. And it helps you begin to overcome, not just by the blood of the lamb, but by the words of your testimony. Everybody doesn't need to know your secrets. Everybody can't handle your secrets. Ah, and we all don't want to hear about all your secrets. But somebody needs to know your secrets. Because the way you overcome what you came through is not just by the blood of the lamb, Jesus, but by the words of your own testimony. Come on now. I don't want everybody to know what I'm going through. Wouldn't that be a great church service? Hey, everybody, I just, I'm glad you're here today. I just need to tell you what I'm discouraged about. Wouldn't that be fun? Woo, can't wait till next Sunday. huh? No, 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 but somebody needs to know what I'm going through. Right, everybody? Proverbs 28, 13 now, and this will be my last verse. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Wow, isn't that powerful? So here's the question I'll end with. You're here this morning on this cold Sunday that you've worked to be here. Do you have a relationship with God? Number one. And number two, do you have a relationship with someone? I hope you do. See, relationships are the glue for this thing we call community. It's the glue. People sometimes will ask this question, they'll ask this. Well, what, what do we do if something happens to Pastor Ken? You know, have you ever seen him drive? Something could happen to him, right? <laughs> well, if something happens to Pastor Ken, I'm not the church. Now, I understand that I have a pretty important role. I get that, and I'm not going to downplay that. But you know what would be, if anything ever happened to me, you know what would make the church stronger? A whole bunch of relationships that are happening out there. Come on, it's the glue. Somebody, I, I, I'm over time and I got to close, but this is a risky thing I'm getting ready to do right here. I need one or two of you to yell out just something that was a highlight of your year in 2023 at Radius Church. We'll cut the camera right there because you never know what's going to be said, all right? <laughs> but what was one of the highlights of your year at Radius in 2023? One or two, real quick. Bob? My wife's baptism. Your wife's baptism. <laughs> Woo, come on. Come on now. Cindy, is that what you were going to say? Hosting a life group, but you made her cry. Way to go. All right. <laughs> yes, sir. I know many men that found a home in this church last year, and it's special. Man, that is so good. I know that you are part of the team that uh, does some of our recovery homes, and they're finding fellowship here. That's so awesome. Yes, sir. Come on. Getting sober. Come on. Woo! Come on. Somebody else. Somebody else. Real quick. Yes, sir. Your children asking to go to church. Yeah, I love that. Woo, come on. Oh, man, this is fun. I should have did the whole... I didn't have to prepare as hard if I knew this was going to be... Come on, Dave. Finding radius this year. I love it. Yes, ma'am. Did somebody right here raise their hand? Yeah. Armando finding a men's group and 
Man, finding men's group and doing resolution. All right, I got to stop right there. But here's something I want you to notice by every answer. All the answers had something to do with relationship, had something to do with connection, had something to do with doing life together. You know that kind of thing. Not one was about a sermon I preached. <laughs> and I love it. Because the sermon is just the catalyst that gets us in the room. But it's about so much more than that. So go and get connected this Sunday. Here's how it's going to work. We'll do it for the next few weeks. But out in the foyer over here, you'll see on the way out and over here, there's only four banners because we took all 20-something life groups and we just put them under four umbrellas. And you can go, and there will be people there at every banner. There's also people walking around with a red badge on today. Uh, do we have a picture of that? It says, ask me about my life group. Those are life group leaders. If you don't want to talk to anybody yet, you can just take your phone, and you can go get the QR code, and you can find out all about it. Uh, today, they'll go live, and you can go online or on the app and find out about, all about If you're not computer literate, then somebody will meet you at the resource center and walk you through all of that. I'm just asking you to take a chance. Get in a life group, build a crew, and start having somebody that knows you. Amen, everybody? All right, you said amen. Would you stand with me all over this place? Before you